Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John Van Horn, the director of the library company, and I'm very pleased to welcome you all here this evening to help us celebrate the opening of our new exhibition, Philadelphia Gothic. And speaking of celebrating, I promise to get you all home in time for the opening pitch uh, of Game 5, and let's hope the outcome is something that we can all celebrate uh, tonight and tomorrow. Our, our new exhibition seeks to bring some notoriety to the lives and careers of three somewhat obscure and very much underappreciated authors, uh, Charles Brockton Brown, Robert Montgomery Byrd, and George Lepard. These men worked from the end of the 18th century to the middle of the 19th century. They were innovative writers who together created a genre that we're calling Philadelphia Gothic, and they also influenced their near contemporary uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Our authors introduced all sorts of bizarre and unsettling themes into their work, from somnambulism and ventriloquism, uh, from serial killers to ghosts, and from Christian mysticism to the transmigration of souls. You'll find all of those things and more in our gallery uh, this evening. The library company is the perfect home for Philadelphia Gothic, not only because we have a superb collection of early American literary texts, but also because the library company itself was an integral part of the city's literary culture in the first half of the 19th century. In fact, in many respects, this library embodied Gothic Philadelphia. Let me give some examples. First, Charles Brockton Brown was a shareholder in the library company. And we acquired all of his novels as soon as they were published, uh, at least one of those being a gift from the author himself. None of the other writers in the exhibition were members, but you did not have to be a shareholder then or now to be able to use our collection. And this was the only place in town, if you wanted, as Poe did, to ponder weak and weary over many a quaint and curious <laughs> volume of forgotten lore. In fact, the curators argue in our exhibition that the monumental bust of Minerva, also known as the Pallas Athena, that presided over our reading room in the 19th century and that now presides over me in my office at the other end of the building, uh, was one of the inspirations for the pallid bust of Pallas on which Poe's raven perched. Lots of other Gothic characters frequented the library company in the old days. Our librarian, John J. Smith, for example, was one of the founders of Laurel Hill Cemetery, that consummately creepy place of eternal rest for so many outwardly upstanding Philadelphians, including among our writers, Robert Montgomery Byrd. But the most gothic of all 19th century Philadelphians was James Rush, the neurotic son of Dr. Benjamin Rush and the ill-matched husband of Phoebe Ridgway Rush, who was herself a flamboyant daughter of the fabulously wealthy merchant Jacob Ridgway. This trio, Jacob Ridgway, his daughter Phoebe Ann, and her husband James Rush, uh, we have their portraits, uh, miniatures, by Anna Claypool Peel in a case uh, in the Logan Room where we were just having our reception. They, in fact, were Charles Brockton Brown characters come to life. When Phoebe died from an excess of the good things of life, James <laughs> bequeathed her fortune to the library company to fund a new building on the condition that her bones and his would be interred in the foundation. Uh, that building still stands on South Broad Street, the, the old Ridgeway Library, which was our home for about 100 years before we moved to Locust Street. And it's now the uh, city's uh, high school for the creative and performing arts. <coughs> Though the style of its architecture is neoclassical, the basement under which the couple was buried resembles nothing so much as the crypt of a Gothic cathedral. 
Phoebe had no say in this disposition of her money and her remains. And not surprisingly, her ghost haunted that old building until we moved out in the 1960s. But when we did that, we had to get a decree of the Orphan's Court to enable us to sell that building and use those funds to put up this structure. And one of the uh, clauses of that decree was that we had to reinter them here in this building. Uh, and at the time that was done, uh, we also got the court's permission to uh, open the coffins and look to see in a kind of a macabre effort to find out whether she was in fact buried with all of the uh, wonderful tiara uh, necklaces that, and diamonds that she had during her lifetime. And unfortunately, we found out that, that she didn't. Uh, she was still in the, in the casket, in the black dress she was buried in, but almost as soon as it was open, everything kind of turned to dust, and that was that. However, we did reinter them, and they're now uh, beneath the very building we're sitting in. <laughs> so be careful where you step. <laughs> so now to some brief acknowledgments. Our principal thank you goes to our guest curator, uh, Neil Fitzgerald. He came to us with this idea for this exhibition great many years ago. Uh, today he told me it was about 25 years ago. <laughs> but as with many things at an institution as old as a library company, he had to await the fullness of time. <laughs> but I believe it has been worth the wait, and I think uh, Neil agrees with me. Uh, Neil holds a PhD in American Civilization from Brown University, and he's had a wide-ranging career that includes a stint as a teacher of journalism, uh, work for a rare book dealer, work as a stockbroker and financial analyst, and now as the chief economist for a merchant bank. He's also, he tells me, a somewhat distant collateral descendant of Charles Brockton Brown and currently owns the share in the library company that was held uh, by Brown when he was alive. Uh, Dr. Fitzgerald has lent to the exhibition from his extensive collection. He worked closely with our librarian, Jim Green, to conceptualize and organize the exhibition. Uh, he drafted all of the copy that you see on labels and on the walls uh, for the exhibition, uh, and it's, it's really spectacular. He and his wife, Pamela, have come to join us this evening from Arizona. So kudos to Jim Green, our librarian, and especially Neil Fitzgerald, our guest curator. I also want to thank the lenders to the exhibition, uh, including Neil Fitzgerald, Pamela Sinclair Todd, also a descendant of Charles Brockton Brown, uh, Robert Montgomery Bird, a uh, descendant of the uh, author of the same name, the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, uh, the Rare Book Department of the University of Pennsylvania, and the Free Library of Philadelphia. And also kudos to uh, Steve Tucker, our designer, and to our uh, Jennifer Rosner, our chief of conservation, and her colleagues in our conservation department who uh, mounted the exhibition. And now on to the main event. I want to introduce uh, Christopher Luby, who is a professor of English at UCLA. Before moving to UCLA, he taught at Penn for five years. He received his PhD from Columbia and has held numerous fellowships, including one from the library company some years back. Uh, he's published very widely, including editions uh, by two of our authors, um, George um, Lepard and Robert Montgomery Bird, editions of some of their writings. He's also published the monograph Voicing America, Language, Literary Form, and the Origins of the United States, and is now working on a book that will be called Public Prints, Serial Form in American Fiction, 1792 to 1885. 
So I'm very pleased to introduce uh, Christopher Luby to speak with us this evening about the paradox of Philadelphia Gothic. Very nice to see you all. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, I also want to uh, thank Jim Green and Dr. Neil Fitzgerald for putting together this uh, fantastic exhibition, uh, which if you've had time to go and look at it, you know already is great grisly fun. Um, <laughs> but it's also a real contribution to uh, scholarship in a neglected area of American literature and culture. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. There are various other kinds of American Gothic that have been frequently described and analyzed, and you've probably heard of them. Southern Gothic, for instance. Think of William Faulkner, Flannery O'Connor, and others. But the specificity of Philadelphia Gothic has not been so clearly recognized until now. This is part, I would say, of a more general problem in the study of American literature, uh, which is that Philadelphia has never seemed to have a coherent identity. Other cities, it's you know the home of a great many famous and 